Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. There is a copy of the syllabus for this study that's being handed out by uh, Brother Steelman and Brother Hill. Appreciate their help on this. Uh, it will give you all the lesson titles for the study for the uh, coming quarter. Uh, the title is that I have chosen is The Big Picture of the Bible. And I hope you'll see in just a minute why I've chosen to give it... Uh, that title. Ah, yeah. Uh, I don't know whether, well, I know some of us have tried to put together one of these puzzles that consist of a thousand or maybe 500 pieces. It's been a while since we've tried to do that sort of thing. But I know when you uh, lay all of the puzzle pieces out on the table, and you turn them over, and you start to see all the colors, and then you look at the picture on the box, you have to wonder, how in the world am I going to get all these little tiny pieces to fit together to make that picture? Uh, What I hope we can do uh, over the coming weeks is begin to piece together some of the pieces of the puzzle uh, that make up the Bible. I appreciate Brother Orbison very much. He put everything in context that he talked about. In fact, he spanned most of the Old Testament history, which is great. Uh, This study will look at some of the things of Old Testament history. We'll be looking from Genesis all the way through the end of Revelation. Uh, But I hasten to point out that this is not a historical class. I will refer to selected events and selected elements on the historical line. But as I said, in looking at that puzzle that we have laid on the table, when we look at the Bible, I think sometimes, particularly maybe if you've only been doing it for a while, uh, it may look like that puzzle. You look at some of the pieces and they have uneven edges, Uh, you look at some of the others and they don't seem to quite fit. And in the case of the Bible, some of those pieces are actually duplicated. So let that work with your mind a little bit. Uh, But as I said, we're going to look at history, but that's not our primary uh, objective and purpose uh, in looking at this. As we think about the history, it is interesting to think that for the most part, uh, it applies briefly to all of mankind. And then it very quickly narrows down to one tiny, would seem almost insignificant nation uh, that God chose to bring about his plan. And that the plan is the other element of this course uh, that I uh, propose to devote the most time to. So there's, first of all, the events on the historical storyline. 
And I call that the what or the when. What, what was happening? What were the people doing? Who was involved? Uh, the history of events. The second thing that I propose for us to look at is God's plan for mankind from beginning to end. And I call that the why and the so what. Why did God do what he's doing? Why did those, why were those people doing what they were doing? Why did he choose that particular person? And God made a plan. So what? What does that mean to you and I? What are we supposed to be doing about it? Or how are we supposed to be thinking about it? I like to think of the plan as the glue or the mortar that holds if we start putting all those pieces of the puzzle together, they need something to hold them together. They sometimes don't fit very well. Well, the glue and the mortar that holds those pieces together, I suggest to you, is God's plan. God's plan from beginning to end. And the reason for thinking about or focusing, in my mind at least, on the plan is it helps us to understand the answer to two important questions that just looking at history does not give us the answer to. And that is, why are we here? Uh, and where am I going? Or why am I here? Where am I going? Uh, and the plan offers, I think, the answer to both of, both of those uh, very important questions. Uh, so, just to repeat myself, this is not a history lesson, a history class, but we will be using historical events along the way. Uh, the, the title of this particular lesson is The Implications of the Creation. And I want to begin by introducing some of the elements uh, of God's plan. Uh, when God made a plan, he had these primary interwoven elements, uh, covenants, kingdoms, and priesthoods. These are all interwoven together with the people, with the events, with the history. Uh, and we'll see that, uh, I hope, as we uh, proceed through this study. But what this study is really about is context. What is the context of the entire Bible? What was, what did God have in mind? And I think these three things are the uh, primary historical as well as theological ingredients uh, that uh, God has woven together, the glue of the plan that he used to hold all these things together. Not only will we see patterns in terms of covenants, in terms of kingdoms, in terms of priesthoods, but we'll also see and observe patterns in other things as well. Uh, there will be patterns in things that God has done, the nature of God, the way he goes about doing things. And so we will uh, hopefully illustrate those sufficiently with events and people uh, that we'll be able to uh, have some appreciation of that. Several years ago, in 2013, the, uh, the uh, English theoretical physicist, uh, cosmologist, author, and atheist, Stephen Hawking, 
you may remember, was a, uh, a quadriplegic all of his life, suffered from MLS, a brilliant man, but he was speaking to a group of students at the, uh, at the California Institute of Technology, Caltech, and he asked this question, what was God doing before that divine creation? But he went on in a joking way and he said, perhaps he was preparing hell for those people like myself who dare to ask this question. Uh, well, I think it is a fair question. But Hoke Hawking went on to say this as well. He said, God is the name people give to the reason we're here. But I think the reason is the law of physics rather than someone with whom we can have a personal relationship or an impersonal God. You know, I don't know whether Professor Hawking has ever read, ever read his Bible before he passed away. Uh, but I think if he had, if he'd taken a little time, he would have found a very solid answer to his question. If we go to the book, we have to go to the New Testament to find this. If we go to the book of Ephesians, we see there this passage in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him. What was God doing? He was busy before creation making a plan. He was preparing for the time, the creation, that all things would exist. And he had a purpose in mind. He wanted those people that he created to be holy and blameless and be in his presence, in his loving presence. So this plan really is telling us that God had a purpose and he had a plan even before creation. Now we know that when he created Adam and Eve, he didn't just suddenly spring this plan on them and say, all right, here it is, folks. Uh, he revealed that plan over time. Uh, we have to uh, be patient as we proceed through the Bible, and we'll find uh, that that plan becomes, I think, quite clear to us. So the plan in God's mind was in place, and then he went about creating everything from nothing in a period of six days. Now, there's another scholar that I'd like to quote to, in addition to Professor Hawking, and that's one we know well from Apologetics Press, our brother Kyle Budd, and he said this about the Bible. Each of the 39 books contains a calculated revelation describing some aspects of the coming Messiah who, according to these scriptures, is not only destined to save the nation of Israel, but the entire world. In fact, the reader cannot progress far in the Old Testament writings before he is inundated with descriptions of predictions and concerning the coming Messiah. So today's lesson, we're going to look at the front end of the historical timeline 
as God's plan begins to unfold. What did God do in the beginning? Well, he created a marvelous place for man to live. I have called it a garden of paradise. And after he created man, he spent time with man in that garden. Uh, We're told that he walked in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. Uh, God was very close to them. He was, his presence was there with them. And I think when we think about this marvelous place that he created for them, we begin to see God's love. He loved these people so much that he created this place for them and he wanted to be, have a relationship with them. He wanted to be close to them and have him close to him. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, he, first of all, he created everything, everyone. We all belong to God. Uh, he can, God actually can do anything with us that he wills. If that plan had been something different, that was his right, his ability to choose to do so. Uh, and in return, I think God has uh, some expectations that are only fair if you think about it a bit. One is it's, it's uh, only reasonable uh, for him to expect us, one, to know the plan, to follow the plan, and to fulfill its purpose. God also owns everything, as Psalm 24 and verse 1 tells us. Uh, we belong to God. He is a loving God. Uh, it's only reasonable for him, I think, to expect our love in return. God also rules. Acts 17.24 tells us, The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. He is the Lord. He rules everything, everyone. Uh, we may not want to admit it. We may not be want to accept it. But God is our creator and he owns everything. Before we go into God's plan, I want to ask this question. He created, so what? Well, I'd like us to look at several things that are suggested by the fact that he created things. These are some of them. It is by no means a complete list. As our young people say on Sunday night, you don't get something from nothing. Well, creation indicates clearly that there is a cause. Uh, We have a creator who exists, and he calls himself God. The second thing we can notice is that God has great power. He is transcendent. He is above everything. There is nothing above him. Uh, That's of course, clearly demonstrated in his ability to create things from nothing. Uh, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things he created, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. God is sovereign. He rules. He made it. He owns it. He controls it. Creation, as I indicated earlier, is a proof of God's love. He gave us in the beginning, a paradise to live. Uh, 
And he has a paradise prepared for us in eternity as well. Uh, if you think about the uh, complexity of life, as we look around it, for instance, consider your own DNA. If you've ever had a DNA test, it told you all sorts of things about your health or lack thereof. Uh, in my case, uh, it tells you about your family history, what part of the world you came from, what ethnicity uh, you are part of. Uh, that DNA is a complete instruction book for a human being. It tells us what we have to do in order to develop as an organism, as a being, how to survive, and how to reproduce. Uh, that's just one example of the complexity and all of the interconnections. If you've ever watched uh, National Geographic or BBC Earth, uh, you have seen their videos of how interconnected, how complex, even the tiniest uh, creature of creation uh, is in God's eyes, before God. The perfect order and harmony of the uh, creation is another uh, aspect that uh, many scientists choose to argue with for some reason that I don't understand. It's that harmony that allows their laws of science, the natural laws, to exist. And so they wouldn't even have a job if it weren't for those laws, yet they, some of them choose to quarrel with God's laws of order and harmony. One of the things that God did is he equipped man to thrive. Of course, in the beginning we had a paradise and everything was there for man. Another thing, as I indicated, when he walked in the cool of the evening, he was telling man, I want a close relationship with you. Uh, I'm not something to be far off and distant. But there are other things to uh, look at in terms of, of God's, uh, why, what we need to think about in terms of why he created and what it means. Uh, it illustrates the goodness of God. Uh, in making everything, he said after he was completed that it's good after each day, and then at the end it is very good. Uh, now, I look around and we see a beautiful day, and it is indeed marvelous. It's good. But then I do wonder, why did God create chiggers and mosquitoes? Uh, but again, on the other side, I have to think, well, he gave me the air I breathe. He gave me the water I drink. He gave me this beautiful day. Uh, maybe chiggers and mosquitoes I can live with. Uh, and <clears throat> I think uh, I'd like to remind you of what I did to remind myself, looking at some scriptures. Uh, there is Psalm 19, verse 40, or verse 1, rather, tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 96, verse 11 and 12 says, The fields and the forests sing for joy for the Lord. Psalm 139, verse 14 says, Mankind is fearfully and wonderfully made. Isaiah 43, 20, The wild animals, even jackals and ostriches, honor God. 
Romans 1.20 I've already mentioned. The invisible qualities of God are clearly seen in his creation. So, what are the implications of the goodness of God's creation? I suggest to you these two things. Nature and all matter are good. Nature is good even despite triggers and mosquitoes. Uh, and I think the things he's given us demonstrate that. I think matter is good because it's dependable. As I suggested, it's governed by the laws of science, and we can depend upon what will happen with the substance of our world. It obeys those laws. I suggest to you also that it says that man is good. Now, some people say that man is not really so good, that we're born as sinners, but I suggest to you even God's creation suggests that that's false because he looked at it and he said, not just good, but very good. And of course, we know Jesus teaching about the little children, how they are pure before God, and we're called to be pure like they are. And of course, Paul in his writing says, we are spiritually dead because of our sins. It's not because of Adam's sin. It's because of ours. Uh, Mankind didn't go astray. Uh, We individually go astray from God's will because of our, of our personal sins. Also, the creation tells us the meaning of life. Creation suggests a purpose and a meaning. Uh, You don't have to Google to find out the meaning of life. All you have to do is look at God's creation and look at his plan and you can find testimony to the very purpose that uh, for which he created everything and for which he created man. Now I'd like to switch and talk a little bit, begin to uh, talk about the plan. In the Garden of Eden, uh, the beginning, God gave his first covenant, Genesis 1, 28 through 30, and Genesis 1, or 2, 15 to 19. It also tells us there in Genesis 1 that uh, God blessed man. Uh, one of the blessings we have is the what is called free will. We can choose. We can choose to listen to him. We can choose to follow his plan. We can choose to... Uh, talk about uh, his scientific laws of nature that govern everything uh, or not, uh, we have a choice. And one of the key, key choices he gave us, of course, is whether we follow his plan, whether we obey his will, uh, whether we ignore his plan or uh, pay attention and commit ourselves to it. The third thing uh, that, that he did in this covenant is he gave several stipulations or, or statements of things that he wanted man to do. He said, you need to populate and rule the earth. This we'll re- find out later is referred to as, by some as the cultural mandate. He told uh, man, Adam and Eve, to essentially farm the garden, take care of it, tend it. Uh, and he told them, you can eat any of these plants, uh, any of the herbs, 
Oh, there is one exception to that, and we know what that one exception is. He also set forth the rules of marriage. He said there's to be one man, one woman, as again, as our young people uh, so readily have learned and are able to talk about. Uh, he talked about the conduct of a family. He talked about moral conduct. He said it's one man, one woman for life. Uh, you belong to one another. Not uh, You do not have the freedom to roam about uh, and choose whom you will. Uh, so God's covenant, uh, in doing so, he set forth rules. Some of them were without conditions. One of them was conditional. And that kind of set the pattern for other covenants that we'll look at uh, as we go forward. Uh, but it is important to remind ourselves again, God gave us free will. He allows us to reason and to choose whatever we will. And of course, that's another indicator of God's nature. He's a God of reason. And he gave us his, his same ability to reason as well. This is supposed to represent the banishment of Adam and Eve from the garden because of their sin. And sin, of course, as we know, had consequences. Now, I don't know how much thought you may have given to this in the past, but there's a long list of consequences to the sins of Adam and Eve. Uh, and I'd like to suggest some of those to you. It's not a complete list. But as you can see, as they had their face, uh, there was a loss of innocence and there was a sense of shame uh, that they experienced that they had not experienced before. So the guilt, the shame, the fear, uh, before an awesome God, an all-powerful God, uh, was, <clears throat> had to be to them very frightening. There was pain in childbirth uh, that was one of the consequences of their sin. There was the lost access to the tree of life. Uh, and one of the things I'd like for you to keep in mind there is it tells us that man was driven from the garden. That shows us some things right there. God is not pleased with sin, for one. Uh, and it says, you're no longer, you as mankind are no longer fit for this paradise which I've given you. And another thing it says is, actually man was longing to stay there because he had to be driven out. He was reluctant to leave the presence of God. Uh, but nevertheless, because of his sin, he could not be in God's presence. There was a limited lifespan, and physical death was one of the consequences because of the loss of the access to the tree of life, if nothing else. And there are other consequences, very important to us, I think, even now. There was a change in relationships that happened when man sinned. There's a change in the relationship with God. Uh, God, of course, desired to be close to man, and he wanted man close to him, but because of that, that relationship with God uh, was broken. It was damaged, uh, and you and I cannot repair that. Adam and Eve could not repair it. Only God can repair that broken, damaged relationship whenever he chooses to, if he chooses to. There 
is an ongoing spiritual warfare that exists with Satan. Genesis 3.15 tells us about that. The relationships with one another are damaged. Uh, there's the relationship uh, between uh, men and women. Remember, Adam blamed Eve for his problems. Uh, and I think maybe us husbands inherited some of that from Adam. You can ask my wife how many times I've blamed her for losing something that I lost uh, or misplaced at any rate. <clears throat> there are damaged relationships with their spouse. Uh, I don't think anyone that's married can claim that they have a totally, absolutely 100% harmonious relationship with their spouse. Uh, family relationships, sin enters in and causes problems. There's problems with our fellow human beings. Uh, there's strife and conflict all over the world. Uh, Romans 8 and verse 20 speaks about the, uh, the futility or the vanity of creation. It says, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. This passage is describing the wretchedness, the suffering, the disappointments, the frustrations, the futilities, the tragedies of uh, mortal life in a state that's separated from God. Uh, and that same word, futilities, is the one that Solomon used in writing Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, when he said, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or as the NIV has it, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. So with sin loose in the world, uh, the earth is in many ways a futile and tragic, tragic place. It, of course, has many blessings that I've spoken of as well. But there are many tragedies that our world uh, has to deal with. And with the earth itself, uh, he was told that thorns would arise. So there would be a difficulty with him uh, acquiring uh, the food uh, that he needed to sustain himself. <clears throat> I think I'm going to finish early and I was expecting to do so. Uh, this is just by way of review about this first lesson. Uh, the two things that uh, I propose for us to look at are the key elements or some key events rather in the historical history line in the historical line of the Bible. Then the other is God's plan for mankind. Why he did the things he did and what are the consequences? What is the meaning uh, for those of us uh, who are a part of that plan, the plan he made for us? Uh, we'll uh, continue to look at some of the uh, elements of history, we'll continue to look at some of the theological or doctrinal or theoretical or however you choose to describe them aspects of God's plan. And next week, you may notice there that the title of the lesson is God's Purpose for Creation.
So we need to understand at the outset, he had a plan, okay, so what? What's the purpose? We will look in some depth at that. So with that, I'll conclude. And I wonder if there are any observations, any comments, uh, any criticisms, uh, objections. Uh, yes, Brother Fred. Let me, uh, let me put you online, sir. Halfway through your presentation, you mentioned the uh, point of children being innocent, of original sin being incorrect. I think one of the foundational scriptures that bear that out is Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11. The prophet, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is quoting God directly, where, and I'll paraphrase somewhat, God is saying clearly, accountability for the sins of the Son does not also extend to the Father. Vice versa, accountability for the Father's sins does not also uh, extend to include the Son. God went on to say, Accountability for sin rests solely with the person who committed it. When, when we read that there is no shadow of turning with God, when we read that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then we understand that what God is today relative to all things in creation, so God was in the beginning before he made anything and has been, all the way through. Therefore, Ezekiel 33 and verse 11 is a timeless biblical truth. Original sin is is false. Thank you for that. That, uh, that that's very good. I uh, fortunately we don't have a lot of time to go into the idea of original sin, but just wanted to suggest to you that the fact that uh, God created everything very good, including us, that to me suggests at a basic level that we're not originally sinners or we're not born that way. But thank you for that comment. Appreciate it. Others, well, thank you for your kind attention. I appreciate your patience in listening. And uh, I would, I would uh, say prepare ahead and study for the lesson next week. There are so many scriptures that are referenced in these lessons that I can't give you a specific book, chapter, and verse to study. You might look at Ephesians chapter 1. You'll find some interesting things there to learn about the purpose of God, particularly verses 6, 12, and 14 of Ephesians 1. But there are other places in the Bible that describe God's purpose for us, and I think we do need to give consideration to that. Let's uh, bow together in prayer at this time. Father, we are grateful to you. you. Your creation testifies to us so many times 
wonderful things, so many powerful truths about you and about this world that you've given us to live in. And we're grateful, Father, to be able to be a part of what you have created, what you have made, and what you have in mind for us in your plan and your purpose that you set forth even before time began. We're grateful, Father, that we are in your thoughts, that we, that you desire for us to be in your presence. And we pray, Father, as we live our lives, that we can live in such a way that we honor you in this life, but that we can indeed look forward to that paradise which you have prepared for us in eternity. Thank you, Father, for loving, for blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.